0: This talk was given by Chris Yudo Abram at Zen Mountain Monastery. Yudo is a senior lay student in the mountains and rivers order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thank you for listening. Shinryu Suzuki said, in the beginner's mind, There are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. When I first got interested in Zen, I read two of the classic books on on American Zen. Um, The first one was The Three Pillars of Zen, and it uh, catalogs various enlightenment experiences of um, mostly Westerners um, in their Zen training and practice. Um, it also talks about the qualities of character that you get, you develop from, from practicing Zen. And it talked about it as a sort of perfection of character, um, in that old-world sense of you know, the word character. And then I read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which was by Shunryu Suzuki, which is uh, very different. It was poetic, it was understated. It is understated. Um, it, describes, it describes Zen as nothing special, Um, It says, practice is enlightenment and to me at the beginning this was kind of uh, not very convincing and sort of disappointing and I felt it was just kind of too soft and I was much more interested in these, you know, enlightenment experiences and this, you know, becoming this kind of super person um, that the three pillars of Zen was really um, talking about. So I put Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind aside and I decided I would focus on three pillars, style of Zen. Uh, By the time I came to Zen Mountain Monastery, I had made up my mind uh, what Zen was and what I wanted to get out of it. And needless to say, my first month of residence here, um, some 20 years ago, was quite a shock. Uh, Not only did I not achieve enlightenment experiences, but I was much more caught up in, you know, the mundane uh, challenges of Zen, like my legs were hurting and I was much more kind of like, you know, trying to figure out how to get the most out of Oroki and things like that. And um, I, I basically didn't think... At the end of this month, I, I was um, kind of defeated um, and didn't really think Zen was going to be for me. Um, it was just too grueling, too difficult. And so I went off and I went traveling and looking for sort of an easier way to be, you know, myself, to be at harmony in the world. Um, But after a few months of that, I hit rock bottom and so resolved uh, to come back to uh, the monastery um, because it seemed at that point it was the only thing I actually really believed in. And I decided to come back and stay until I found what I was looking for. And by this point I'd read many other books on Zen and I had refined my ideas of what Zen was. And I could talk at length about its history and its various practices and teachings and teachers. Uh, but again, none of that really seemed to help much uh, when, I, you know, when it came down to it, when I was back here and I was just trying to like, stay awake half the time. And even so, after about six months of being here at the monastery, I looked back and I thought, you know, I didn't really know what Zen was, but now I know what it is. Now I know what it is. And so I would, you know, I'd be talking to my parents and my friends back home and sort of expounding on what Zen actually is. And, and uh, I felt I had really matured in my kind of wisdom and insight. Uh, and six months later on from that, I had the same feeling. I looked back and I said, um, you know, actually I didn't know what Zen was, but now I know what it is. And... And I kept on going and reading and training, and six months later again, I looked back and said, ah, okay, now I have it. And this went on and on for years, um, until I got quite uh, exhausted by this whole game. Um, I stopped believing this feeling that I knew something, or that I knew what Zen was. And I stopped trusting that, and I just gave up trying to control and define. And it was kind of a relief um, because for the first time I felt I didn't need to prove anything to myself or to anyone. And my practice, my zazen, just became a lot simpler. And in a sense, I had thrown away my map for this and decided to just stay present and trust what I was experiencing. And perhaps this might have been my first sort of glimpse of what Shinryu Suzuki might be talking about when he says, beginner's mind. And so this certainly wasn't the thunder and lightning of three pillars of Zen, enlightenment experiences, but in a way this was more personal uh, and and deeper. And in a sense, this is what the process of Zazen is all about. become aware of our thoughts, we you know, kind of get exhausted by them, get sick of them, exhausted by them, we, we learn how to let them go. And no longer constrained by these thoughts, our worlds become a little bit larger, and then larger and larger as we go. And we're constantly reckoning with our thoughts and ideas about reality. We're separating things into this and that, good and bad, right and wrong. And we're told to practice letting all of this go. And we do let some things go quite easily, but we also hold on to a heck of a lot. And as we hold on and maintain and protect, if we keep sitting, these thoughts and ideas get increasingly heavy and quite boring. And we have to contrive stronger and stronger arguments for supporting our ideas, and eventually we realize, ah, it's okay to just drop this for now and just sit. I don't need it anymore. We learn we don't need our ideas about ourselves, our superiority, our victimhood, our defense systems, our loneliness, whatever. We can just let it all go. And this can feel like a relief and a simplification. And by doing this, we return more and more to this mind of not knowing, this beginner's mind. And we find ourselves open, awake, present, accepting, curious, sensitive, and more at ease. And we, see, we can see more clearly and deeply into things. We can see things as they are. And this process happens on every level from these mundane flickers of self during zazen to our large you know identities that we put forward into this world like in our lives we we want we want certain things we want to have a job we want a certain income we want to have a partner and we want him or her to be smart engaging sexy well connected we want to want to be respected we want to have influence we want to have many friends. We want to have our names on a film or a book. And we want to live in a nice place, a fancy place, maybe by the river, have south-facing windows. Um, we want the approval of our parents. We want a clear complexion. We want you know, a good body. And we try and position ourselves just so, so that we can convince ourselves we have most of what we want or we're almost on the verge of getting it. And we want to be sure we're winning at this game called life. And if everything we just hold completely still, things are going to be just fine. But then something happens. We get laid off. Our relationship ends. The market crashes. We start going bald. A loved one gets diagnosed with some kind of disease. And everything shatters and comes crashing down. And now there's another chance in hell we're going to meet the grade. We're basically a failure. Our lives are a mess. And with that comes loss and grief and shame. And also, we might feel something else on the other side of this. Maybe a kind of relief, you know, a lightness. Because we have failed, we no longer need to keep that hero narrative going. We no longer need to convince ourselves or anyone that we've made it and we can let go and rest and look around at what we do have. We can reassess our life and there we find our real life, our real friends, our real riches and possessions. And we can be grateful for these things and not want them to be something else. And we have a new curiosity about life. You know, what is it, really? If it's not about all of that, then what is life for? And we can be present and attentive. And we may find that we can be a better friend, a better lover, a better person, because we're no longer striving for something else. We don't have anything to lose anymore. And this, too, is a kind of returning to a beginner's mind. This, too, is Zen. Shinriya Suzuki says, In the beginner's mind there is no thought, I have attained something. All self-centered thoughts limit our vast mind. When we have no thought of achievement, no thought of self, we are true beginners. Then we can really learn something. The beginner's mind is the mind of compassion. When our mind is compassionate, it is boundless. Dogen Zenji, the founder of our school, always emphasized how important it is to resume our boundless original mind. Then we are always truly, then we are always true to ourselves, in sympathy with all beings, and can actually practice and can actually live. In Zen practice, we learn how to discover our beginner's mind so that it doesn't necessarily take a shock event in our lives to wake us up. Waking up is something we can do in every moment. We can learn to let go and appreciate our appreciate our lives as they are. This is what all the koans uh, point to. And it's not, as we're seeing, it's not some esoteric doctrine, it's just our everyday lives. In fact, in this process of working on a koan, we go through a similar process. We have to identify all the ideas we have about this situation, the koan, and we have to let them go. And gradually we get closer and closer to the koan, and our questioning be- can become stronger such that we become intently curious to know, intently curious to resolve it, and nothing stands in our way. And it's by giving up these ideas about a koan that we uncover our inherent curiosity. And only then can we really ask the question and see who we are. Finally, we understand what Shunryu Suzuki means when he says, it's nothing special. He says, if you continue the simple practice every day, you will obtain some wonderful power. Before you attain it, it is something wonderful. But after you attain it, it's nothing special. I find we're often drawn to novelty in our lives. And looking around, some people are hooked on extreme sports, or self-help workshops, or psychedelics. Uh, There's romantic pursuits. Um, Others like to travel all the time, and actually I have been doing quite a fair bit of traveling this last while, um, living for some years in both Thailand and Bali, uh, also visiting other parts of Southeast Asia. And the novelty of traveling is kind of fun. It's entertaining. Um, Each place you go you have to figure out, you know, how do I order food? How do I do my laundry? How do I get from here to there? Um, and you go to these incredible beaches and volcanoes and and uh, motorbike trips through the mountains and and you meet all these you know people crazy people and interesting people and you get to see how people relate to you and how they might value you in this particular culture and how it's different from your, how you're valued here and they might value you for different things but staying long enough in one place eventually you know you get used to things and you know it starts becoming a bit predictable, and the people are kind of you know not as interesting as your friends back home, and you're getting a bit bored at this point, and you're feeling a bit lonely, and it all starts to feel kind of familiar, and we don't really, I don't really like that feeling, and I also realize well I don't really belong here, so um, maybe we'll keep moving. And we go on to the next place, and there's new novelty there. You know, everything's different, and it's wild, and it's chaotic, and it's, wow, it's amazing. So place after place, you know, you keep moving. And over time, though, um, it can get kind of exhausting. And But for some period of time, at least, you have this kind of wide-eyed you know, um, experience of beginner's mind. You know, it's all new. It's like a kid in a candy shop. But is this really beginner's mind? Is this what Shinryu Suzuki is talking about, that all of Zen points to? And I don't think so. I think this kind of novelty uh, is basically kind of a distraction, or it can be for the most part. It grabs our attention and momentarily allows us to forget um, our you know, existence, our suffering. Um, it's like you know a good action movie. It's, it makes us feel kind of alive, Um, The beginner's mind, on the other hand, is quite different. It's turning um, inwards, and deliberately letting go of the self, and discovering our inherent curiosity. It's discovering who we really are when we let all of our thoughts and feelings and everything go. And once we do that, then any kind of external novelty no longer has such a big pull on us. There's a, a Chinese poem that says, I went and I returned. It was nothing special. Roson, famous for its misty mountains, and Seco for its water. And as we develop in our practice, we have less of a need to seek out distractions like this, or you know, in any form, as we're no longer you know, trying to avoid the discomfort in our lives. But to get here, we need to practice long and hard and burn up all this karma. As the saying goes that I, I become familiar with recently, we need to wear our sword until we no longer can. And this means wearing out all our bad habits, our fantasies, our hopes, our desires. We need to get to absolutely sick of each one of them until we can finally say, okay, enough. And then we can finally let them go. So my point here is that it's not just zazen that may be necessary to wear out our karma, to realize, to realize our beginner's mind. Sometimes we may need to live our lives in a particular way. We, we need to make mistakes, maybe many times, in order to... Uh, um, until we wear through this karma, until we fully convince ourselves that we don't need to do that anymore, that it's not bringing us peace and satisfaction. And then we can finally put it down. We need to convince ourselves over and over again that there isn't anything outside of us that can make us whole. But what's key here is that we keep our eyes open through it all, no matter where we are, what we're living, how we're screwing up or not. We just need to remember to pay attention. And that's what we learn in our zazen. There's a famous quote of Proust He says, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. This is actually a paraphrasing of a longer passage from Remembrance of Things Past, as I recently discovered. The full passage is, a pair of wings, a different mode of breathing, which would enable us to traverse infinite space, would in no way help us. For if we visited Mars or Venus, keeping the same senses, they would clothe in the same aspect as the things of the earth, everything that we should be capable of seeing. The only true voyage of discovery, the only fountain of eternal youth, would be not to visit strange lands, but to possess other eyes, to behold the universe through the eyes of another, of a hundred others, to behold the hundred universes that each of them beholds, that each of them is. These other eyes he's talking about are our original eyes, our Buddha eyes. With these, we see the perfection. We see sufficiency. We see the luminosity of things. Proust describes this as the only fountain of eternal youth. I found what can be helpful is Reflecting on the passing of time, on our, you know, approaching death and it can help to sort of cut through and wear out our karma and put it in perspective. Each night, this is, this is a common thing in in Buddhism, reflecting on death. Each night we chant, life and death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes and opportunity is lost. For me, Realizing that I am getting older, that I will never return to my days of youth, is frightening, um, depressing. Uh, you know, um, I would certainly do everything possible to avoid having to acknowledge that. Um, but it gets harder and harder, um, because as my body ages and people around me age, um, hard to ignore. When I can put aside, I find when I can put aside my reaction to aging, to death, my feelings about it and hold it in my mind, accept it, then it really helps to remind me what things are important, um, to put things in perspective. It also helps me stay humble and grateful and curious about life So it helps, in a sense, return to this beginner's mind. There's a quote I really like from Kensei Rinpoche. If you reflect on death, then there's nothing you will need. Always keep death in mind. Once the conviction that everything is impermanent, the recognition that existence is very fragile and the awareness that death is an ever-present threat Once these things have truly taken root in your mind, you will stop hankering after life's ordinary compulsions. But if you don't reflect deeply enough on death and impermanence, your lack of perspective will make it difficult to to rid yourself of life's more futile concerns. Your tendency always to want more than you need will continue. Even though you have enough to eat, you will want ever more delicious food. Despite having enough clothes and adequate place to live, you will keep thinking about getting something better and more fashionable to wear and a bigger, more comfortable house. Although you may already have a partner or a lover, you will be constantly on the lookout for someone better. These are all signs that you are not remembering how close death really is all the time. Why would you invest all that energy on those plans for the future if you are not somehow blindly convinced you are still sure to be in this world for a long time to come? And I've kept coming back to this quote year after year, and it—I it, can't help noting uh, that I keep doing all the things he warns of. I keep wanting uh, better food, you know, a better place to live, a better lover, um, a better life. Basically, I mean, the grass always seems greener, you know, over there to me. So it's been very useful for me to keep coming back to it as a reminder, um, as a sort of checking point for me to help me see where I'm at. Like, why am I suffering so much? And this kind of helps to point to that. Am I really accepting that I'm getting older, that I'm going to die? Am I living my life in accord with that reality? And if not, then what is getting in the way? So this week at the monastery, it's been a tough week, Um, an interesting week and a pretty tough week. Um, For those at home who aren't up to date, uh, about a week ago, we had about 10 of the residents uh, test positive for COVID. They went into quarantine and the rest of us all adjusted, putting on masks, uh, spacing ourselves out, adjusting some of the ways we do service and things around here. And it was a lot, and, um, you know, everyone uh, has different ideas about what's important and what's safe, et cetera. And um, for me, uh, it was scary. Um, I found myself paranoid, uh, frustrated, angry, um, found myself annoyed. And uh, at times I thought we were kind of overreacting and that, you know, COVID, it's not such a big deal these days, da, da, da. And other times uh, I was kind of freaked out and I was, you know, I didn't want to get anywhere close to people and I was convinced, you know, like, uh, you know, death was just around the corner. Um, it seems sometimes this monastery, um, this thing, this safe place, this container of training that for me has been such a constant foundation in my life, a refuge, uh, was starting to kind of, you know, fall apart a little bit. Um, and it was really interesting and strange to experience it, um, you know, no longer as quite a place of refuge, but as, you know, a place with potentially dangerous, you know, components. Um, but then I would look around, I would see, you know, the other residents um, going through similar arrays of reactions, And I'd see that for the most part, we're all just trying to do our best and do what's right in each moment. And from one moment to the next, from one person to the next, um, that might mean quite a different thing. Quite a different behavior is necessary in order for each of us to feel safe. And it was also difficult just having masks on all the time because it's so much harder to feel someone. Um, uh, And also, for the most part, I took my glasses off because it was always foggy. So it was just harder to feel uh, people and connect with people. um. And at times like this I would often recall a story someone told me of another sangha, um, another time, uh, when things were falling apart in a probably more drastic way. And someone came to the teacher and said, what should we do? Uh, How should we practice uh, in the midst of this chaos and uncertainty, and his reply was, "Stay present." Just that, and I figure I, I keep I, I, I bring that up for myself um, fairly often when I have you know uh, I don't know what else to do, and it's it's a good it's a good advice. <laughs> so, beginner's mind, this. Term "beginner's mind" can be deceptive because it sounds like after all these years of Zen training, um, you know, finally you you know achieve enlightenment, etc. But you end up just having beginner's mind, which is what you had to start with anyway. Um, So it's kind of like you're like a child again, Um, but it's not quite the same thing. Of course, fundamentally, they are the same mind. However, when you're just a beginner, just starting out, you haven't yet realized that. But the beginner's mind that Shinryu Suzuki is talking about is the mind of enlightenment. And here, all forms have been seen through as being empty. So they can no longer distract or fool you. And the whole world appears luminous and mysterious. This is the beginner's mind that Shinryu Suzuki is talking about, and it's worlds apart, but also not separate from the mind of someone just starting out in Zen. He says, So the most difficult thing is always to keep your beginner's mind. There is no need to have deep understanding of Zen. Even though you read much Zen literature, you must read each sentence with a fresh mind. You should not say, I know what Zen is or I have attained enlightenment. This is also the real secret of the arts. Always be a beginner. Be very, very careful about this point. I like what he says here about beginner's mind being the real secret of the arts. And I think that's what the art practice we do here is is all about. It's always a challenge for me to enter the space of not knowing in art practice. To experience something, um, without any filters, without any expectations, and to allow myself to be curious, to really question what something truly is. Like, you know, some of the koans we take up in our art practice, Hojun-sensei may have spoken of. For example, what's the treeness of a tree, or the suchness of Tremper Mountain? And out of that place of deep questioning, we have the opportunity to express something real. And I feel that every great piece of art must surely come from this place, this place of aliveness. There's, uh, For some reason, I picked the red wheelbarrow by William Carlos Williams as as an example. Um, So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. So much depends upon the red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. So having discussed all of this, I think we can all consider ourselves experts on beginner's mind. Right? That's a joke. (laughs) What is beginner's mind? I've thought about it, and I also think maybe it should also be called beginner's heart, because it's all connected. And when we awaken our mind, we awaken our heart, but we can't think our way to it. So let's just forget about it and do zazen. And here it is realized. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.